Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. And so last week we preached about vision, and I told you that vision is revelation, it brings revelation, revelation brings experience. And so this week we want to talk about the revelation of God in Christ Jesus, amen? So we're going to deal with uh, God in flesh today, and so I want to preach to you about one Lord, is that all right? I hope you enjoy this because this is so rudimental to everything we do. Everything we do is anchored in one God, in Christ Jesus. God Almighty revealed in flesh. Amen? So let's pray and um, read the Bible and let's do our best to um, handle the word properly today. So let's go to um, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. I'll read down through verse 9. Uh, If you're there, say amen. amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love, everyone say love, Love. the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Heart refers to emotion, soul refers to thinking, and might refers to your strength of your physical body. God wants all of you. Amen? And so the scripture continues in verse 6. And says, and these words which I command this day, or thee this day, shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. When you sit down, you should talk about this. When thou walkest by the way, when you take a walk, you should talk about it. And when thou liest down, when you're going to bed at night, you should talk about it. And when thou risest up, when you get up in the morning, you should talk about here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Amen, someone. Lord, let us feel your presence and power. Illuminate the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And let us see your work be done through the word of God. Let us see the revelation let there be a revelatory word in this house today. Give us rhema from heaven, I pray. In Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. amen. You may be seated. Today, revelation. Next couple weeks, experience. We're going to have a baptism Sunday in two weeks. Find somebody. We'll dunk them in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go get them off the street and say, you need to be washed in the blood, sanctified by the Spirit. Amen. Everyone we preach and, and teach to, they have to understand, though, that we are not preaching and teaching our own opinions. Amen. These are not the ideals of men. These are not even good, the best of ideals of men. These are not the traditions of men, but we must and we are required to preach the word of God. Amen. So I read to you in a text, it's a foundational statement. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Everyone say Lord. If you put that scripture back up there, you can see that the Word of God makes a special note to us because when the translators of the Word of God began to translate into English, they translated through the Hebrew language and the Greek language. And in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, they began to not write the name of God. They actually wrote the tetragrammatron, which is a big word that 
that means four consonants, which we believe because they wouldn't write the vowels to the name because they had so much reverence for the name of God that they didn't want to write the name of God wrongly or, or they didn't want to take the name of God in vain. So they just wrote Y-H-W-H for the name of God all throughout Hebrew text. And so when the English translators were translating it, they translated it to usually Jehovah, but often into a word that means Lord or Adonai, okay? Adonai has plural connotations, but it is a word that was substituted for the original name of the Lord. And so the the writers of the King James Version give us an understanding that this is not just Lord as in the definition of a master or someone who is his, his boss or over someone, but this is the actual Hebrew name of God. That is what that means. It's not just a title, but it is actually the name of God. So God's name, when we read it in the scripture here, is then substituted for Adonai, and that's what they use for God's name. And they wanted us to know that's why they capitalized it. So here, the literal translation of Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, is what I'm preaching this morning. There is one Lord. Amen? And so what we understand that to mean is Hero Israel, Jehovah or Yahweh is one. Amen? He gives himself a number. God prefers a number over a title. Amen? You cannot put a title on Almighty God. Oh, I wish I could preach in this place. Because a title is so limited to what it can do. A title like the President of the United States, Brother Maurice, is a very powerful title. It often gets abused lately, but it's a very powerful title. Amen? And apparently their pen is very t- powerful as well. They can veto whatever they want. Now, I'm not going to get off on that because I-, I don't preach politics, okay? I preach the Word of God. But I'm just having a little fun, okay? So we understand that titles can be very powerful, but titles are limiting. If you are the President of the United States, you are a powerful man. But you are also, because of that title, not the President of Australia, you are not the president or the the emirate of Indonesia or some other place. Because of your title, you are powerful but limited. And God doesn't want us to take him with a title, amen? He wants us to understand, I have a number and it is one. And I have a name and it is Jehovah. And we understand in the New Testament, it is Jesus Christ, amen? So we hear and understand the scriptures, teach with every opportunity the scripture tells us here. When you, it's in morning, noon, night, standing, sitting, whatever position, it doesn't matter what you're doing, late night, walking the dog, talk about Jesus, amen? Tell and teach your children, there, there, there is one God. Teach, teach them that you need to give him your whole heart. Teach your children that you need to give him your whole life. And the reason why you do that is because if there is only one God, and if he is a great and mighty God, then he deserves serves us to serve that one true and living God. Amen. So he is the only one. The Bible instructs us that that in this area that the Jewish people were to, to bind it upon their forehead and upon their forearm. And the Orthodox Jews, even of that day, would literally, when they go to prayer, they would take a little box, a phylactery, and they would actually bind it upon their head and they would put it there. And then that box would be this scripture, Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Then they we would put it, put it on their arm like a, like a watch or on their forearm and it, it would say in that, in that, little, in that little box, it would 
would say, Hear, Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And it was a signet to them. They really took it literally that they had to, whatever they did with their arm, they needed to do it in the name of their God. Whatever they thought, they needed to thank it through the understanding of there is only one God and I need to be reverent to that one God. And whatever I think I'm going to do with my life, I need to have bound upon my forehead the idea that there is a God I must answer to. There is a God who expects me to honor him. And there is one God who knows who I am and understands what I need. And he's told me that I am to serve him alone. Alone. So the remembrance is the thing that God wants us to do. And it brings to me Colossians 3 and 17. I referenced it. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Amen? Do it all in the name of the Lord. Then if we understand that, we understand as you look at the people that that live this life, that literally the Orthodox Jews, if you go into a Jewish business, oftentimes you will see on the gate or on the door this scroll, this like scroll uh, vial that's either stuck on the wall or at their door or on the gate as you're coming into a business, there'll be this scroll on the door. And that is literally Deuteronomy 6 and 4 is rolled up in in a parchment and put in there because they want you to know that you're entering into a oneness place. You're entering into a a house or a business that believes in one God. Amen? Amen. So I rise this morning to tell somebody that there's there's no God like our God. He, he, he wants you to know him and, and understand him. He wants you to function. You know, he wants you to, to, all of your actions and your functions to be in an understanding of who your God is. He puts emphasis on some things that are important. He puts very much a strong emphasis on the fact that he is one God. So I want to raise the roof in this place tonight because I'm so glad that I can declare the divinity of Almighty God in this house today. I'm so privileged to know that God is one and there is none beside him and he is a great and mighty God he is Jehovah come to save us there is one Lord amen through the Old Testament it emphasizes God is one not so much one God but God is one it literally gives the emphasis on the number in the book of Isaiah 50 times it speaks God is one never holy two never holy three holy four holy more God is one amen everyone say God is one Mark 12, 28 through 31, we read this scripture. The scribe came to Jesus and began to speak to him. And if you can keep up with me, uh, Sarah, I would really appreciate that because um, I need to read from the board. Mark 12, 28 through 31, the scripture says, and, and one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Go on to the next verse. Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is, here it is again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The Old Testament sets a foundation for our belief in God as God is one in Deuteronomy 6.4. And then in the New Testament, when they asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment? He said, this is your anchor. This is what you need to build everything upon is that there is only one God, okay? Do you understand that? And so we have to, we have to put emphasis on what God puts emphasis on. And so Jesus said, this is the most important thing. This is the greatest commandment. And, and, there's, and so many people have confusion over this. And if you just look at the, the, the very 
essence of what's going on. You have to understand that as people, we have to build our, our intellect about God a certain way. You have to set up what you understand about God a certain way. If you're going to study any religion, if you're going to study a Muslim religion or Islam, you have to ask them, what is their concept of God? You start right there. If, you, if you're going to study Hinduism, you, what is their concept of God? If you're going to study Buddhism, you have to say, what is their concept? If you're going to study Pentecostal movement, the apostolic modern Pentecostal age movement, you have to ask, what is their concept of God? And how do we get our concept of God? Where does that concept come from? And the concept that we understand and the way that we look at it as apostolic Pentecostals, as we look to the Old Testament for the place where God's concept is created and it's revealed in the New Testament. Jesus revealed in the New Testament is what was concealed in the Old Testament. Amen? God Almighty in flesh revealed to us in the New Testament is not another person of the God, not a second, not a third, not, not even a fourth, but he is God come in flesh. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that God is a spirit. We must understand God as a spirit. He is all present everywhere, everywhere, all powerful. We know that is omniscient, is all knowing, omnipresent is the big words that means he's all powerful. So we get an understanding that God is a spirit in the Old Testament. We go into the New Testament, John 4, 24, and the Bible says that God is a spirit. Same thing going on in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Nothing has changed, not a new spirit, not even a second spirit, but God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. Amen. So we understand that we take our understanding or concept of God not from second century, third century, not from the creeds of man or the traditions of man, which unfortunately so many churches have. The Trinitarian doctrine was not even created till the Council of Nicaea, 325 AD, 325 years after Jesus died. Did they ever form the concept that God was three persons? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three working in one union or together as one. That was never even in the mind of the first century church and the second century church. They went to the lion's mouth in Colosseums, dying, shedding blood, believing there is only one God from the Old Testament. The reason why Peter stood up and said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And he shouted, it's a given. It's an absolute. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues. It's because he knew they were Jewish people. They were devout men. They knew about repentance from the Old Testament. They knew about baptism from the washing and the cleansings of the Old Testament. They knew about the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament and from John the Baptist preaching, I baptize you unto repentance but there's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. They understood what Peter was preaching. And so whenever God begins to work on us and we see God as a further revelation in the New Testament, we cannot say that that is a separate person of a triune God when God never represented himself that way. There are scriptures that I must deal with to understand and underscore this. But you have to understand that when we see Jesus saying that he is the almighty God, 
He is not overlapping the title of Father who is Almighty God. The scripture tells us that the Father is the only true God. So if the Father is the only true God, then Jesus is not a true God, nor is the Holy Spirit a true God. If they are three separate persons, you have to understand that when it says Father is the only true God, it's referring to his title, and he's never stuck to just one title. Did I hit that already good enough? So you have to realize that when it speaks of Father, it's referring to the fact that he is the Father of creation. He's the Father of the human race. He's the Father of our redemption, amen, and that we are now called sons of adoption, amen. Our spiritual new birth allows him to be the title of Father God to us, amen. And that is how we know him as Father. But we don't say Jesus is moving over here while the worship is going and the Holy Spirit was moving over here and the Father's back there by Nathaniel working his, his power. We don't say that because they're all the self-same God with further revelation. Amen? So we must realize that God is big about telling us who he is in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if the word of God contradicts itself, the contradiction is not in the word of God. It's in our understanding. So we must be very careful. And the message is the same all throughout. Jesus himself saying, this is the foundation. There's no confusion. And some people say, well, why do you make it so important that you preach one God and that you don't join in with all these other religious groups? Isn't that confusion? Those that don't take their basic understanding of God from the scriptures in the Old Testament and go line upon line, precept upon precept, and build their revelation of who Jesus Christ is, get lost in the the understanding of who God is. Because literally the Trinitarian doctrine forms their concept of God from Greek mythology. And they form their concept of God from 325 AD. I want the God that the apostles live for. I want the God that the apostles understand. Well, Brother Calhoun, you know, whenever Jesus was baptized, the dove came down from heaven and sat upon Jesus and the voice from heaven spoke. And that was God the Father. The problem is, is we have the wrong concept of God the Father. God the Father is a spirit, okay? And that's that's a title that people use, God the Father. God is a spirit. And so we can't think of God, it's, it's foolish to think of God as this big body walking around in heaven. He's the old guy, you know? I said it last week with the walker. He's, you know, Jesus is Father. The only reason why Jesus is uh, the Son is because he was conceived by God Almighty. And the Bible actually says that when, when Gabriel came to Jesus, Gabriel told her that the Holy Spirit shall conceive in you. So is the Father really the Father of Jesus, or is the Holy Spirit the Father of Jesus? We have to understand that the Father refers to the conception process, so that made Jesus Christ the man, Jesus Christ, the body born of a woman, that was the sacrifice, the perfect lamb for us. He had to be everything we were, except without sin, amen? He had to be everything we were. He had to feel the emotions we did, had to feel the struggles we did, walk the same sod we walked. He had to do the same things, have everything the same as we do, amen? But the only thing different is he had to be sinless in order to die in our substitute, amen? I hope I'm with you today. Are you with me? Am I okay? 
So we have to understand that those titles represent relationship. So Father, he, Jesus was only the Son in the fact that he was the man, Christ Jesus. But he's not just 100% man. He's 100% God. And what is the God that is in Jesus Christ? To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Amen. But if you analyze the scripture, you know that that scripture refers to Jesus Christ reconciling the world unto himself. How is it possible for a second person of the Godhead to reconcile an offense that you and I have with God the Father? How is that possible? If I take a hundred bucks from you, Reese, and I steal it out of your wallet while you were playing the drums, I did it. I'm sorry. Now, now I feel really bad about it. So I want you to know I gave that hundred bucks to Nathaniel Fromstein and I apologized to him and I told him, I'm so sorry for breaking our covenant of friendship. I'm so sorry for stealing from you. Then you know what? Everything is great. How many know everything is great with that scenario? <laughs> Nate likes having a hundred buck. No, it doesn't work that way. I need to give the one hundred dollars. Excuse me. I give the $100 back to Reese and apologize to the one for which I offended. And I see God is holy. He cannot become sin for us. He cannot become any kind of sin unless he creates a body that can die for our sins. So the son is not a second person or else he could not reconcile us unto himself. He needs to reconcile us to God Almighty and the only way that he can do it is if he has the authority and the power to do that reconciliation and to forgive us our sins. And the only way he can do it is if he is God Almighty in a body. That is the only way. There's no other way. Do you understand what I'm saying? Legally, Jesus Christ was out of line. If he's a second person of the Godhead. But the Bible says he was sent into the world. It means he came through the womb of a woman. Jesus did not pre-exist as a body, as the son of man before the womb of a woman. He pre-existed as the self-existent one. Jehovah, Yahweh, God Almighty. That's who he was. Spirit, he didn't have a body. So you can't get on the right side of something that has no body. You can't be up on a throne that's on the right side of God who has no body. He's everywhere. So when the Bible says Jesus sat down at the right hand of God Almighty, it's referring to the royal right hand that the, that the kings would use when they said, you're my right hand of power. So Jesus was the authority and the right hand to reconcile us to God. And in Revelation, it said that the lamb sits upon the one throne. God Almighty put on a body and came and got his kids. And I'm so glad about it. I'm glad I know it. I'm not praying to Jesus, taking 15 minutes to pray to God and then pray to the Holy Spirit. Jesus reconciled us to God Almighty. It's not just semantics. We have to understand that it's the way that the scriptures exegesis, the exegesis of scripture. We have to go back and look to the Old Testament. And I can't do the principles of how to understand and interpret scripture right now because I just don't have the time. But 
But you have to understand, Scripture always confirms itself in two or three witnesses. Amen? Amen. Scripture always has the law first mentioned. Anytime you see something mentioned for the first time, you have to realize that there's layers. That Jesus is stacked, yo. He's got so so much going on. When you see the law first mentioned, you you take notice. When When it says that God saved us, that the Lord God created man. This is the first time the word Lord is ever used. Because we didn't just need a judge, we needed a merciful Savior. And so, so what I'm so grateful for is the fact that I've fallen, I've tripped up, I've messed up before, but I don't have to run to a judgment seat where there's some God off of the distance with some huge gavel ready to condemn me to fires of hell. But he is willing and he is more than able through a lamb sacrifice called Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, because God conceived him. He can be called the son and not be a second person not be a third person. And what what would make sense of that? Pastor, well, Jesus prayed. That means he must have been praying to somebody else. He wasn't God. If that is, is the way that you interpret Scripture, you have contradicted over 50 times in Isaiah where, where he says God is one. And if we begin to read from the Old Testament that God is one, and then we read, we read in the New Testament about God, and it says, Jesus says, I am the Almighty, the Everlasting, the, the one true, Alpha and Omega, beginning in the... If, he's, if Jesus says that, how can he say that? We have to understand that whenever God is speaking and he has conceived a son, that that does not constitute a second person even though Jesus prayed in the garden and prayed like a human. Hebrews tells us in the days of Jesus prayed in the days of his flesh. It's referring to the fact that as a man, he had emotions. He had things, he had stuff to deal with. He's going to go to a cross and be whipped beyond recognition. And he's going to die for our sins and drain every bit of ounce of blood and and just do everything that he was called to do but as a man he prayed and if you say well that constitutes a different relationship if you say well because Jesus prayed he's the second person in the Godhead then you you also have to understand that same passage of scripture to define what kind of person in the Godhead he is it doesn't just say, if you take that scripture literally where Jesus prayed, that he's praying to another God, and that therefore there's a father separate from Jesus, you also have to take that same scripture and understand that that defines what kind of God Jesus is. That means he's weak, he's needy, he is not co-equal and co-eternal as the Trinitarian doctrine says. So therefore, the Trinitarian doctrine, although created 300 years after the disciples and then walked the earth, they... In their own definition, it's flawed. It is a wrong way of thinking about God because they go back to the creeds of man. They go back to the traditions of man and what the church, what the literally the Catholic church set up, Constantine bringing together men in order to create a consensus of the Christian faith. And that's all it was. The Trinitarian doctrine is a consensus and it was a way for Constantine to bring other people from pagan religions who believed in multiple gods into their religion. Well, we have have multiple there's three and one and they're all oh, that's not much different than ours and the catholic church or i don't mean to use a, a particular religion but the church the christian the christian church exploded in growth when they wrote this down and when they wrote the king james version and when they created the trinitarian doctrine it exploded in growth because those that had multiple gods came in 
It was easier for them to transfer over. And that's not in my notes, but I have to tell you that if you don't understand the Old Testament, you'll never understand the revelation of Jesus in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 3 verse 25 said the law was the schoolmaster. It literally was the tutor that brings us to Christ. If you don't understand the Old Testament, you'll never understand Jesus Christ. How did the Jews and the disciples learn of Jesus? They learned of him in the Old Testament. That's how they knew what they knew. So whenever Paul is is on the road to Damascus as Saul. He thinks he's doing the, the right thing. He thinks he has a good relationship with God. He thinks he's doing the right thing, amen? And he's going to persecute Christians because they believe in Jesus Christ. And no, you have to believe in the one true living God. Paul, Saul, was raised from a child on, ex- or on Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now you're trying to live and serve and believe in a, a man that calls him himself God named Jesus that's heresy so Paul is attacking the church and so Paul's on the road to Damascus and he finds out that the God that he thinks he's serving is the God he's actually working against and so if we go there I want to give you an understanding from scripture Acts chapter 22 and so a light shines from heaven knocks that dude down off of his donkey literally blinds him and and Saul asks a question now remember ever say one God Saul believes in only one God, not multiple titles, not multiple people, not persons, only one Jehovah God. And so when he gets knocked down, what does he do? He has to go back. He's a smart man. He has to go back to his foundation and he has to ask God, who are you? I don't know who you are if I think I'm serving the one true God, persecuting Christians, and now I find out you've come in a revelation to me and said, why are you kicking against the pricks, Paul? Why are you fighting me? And he's like, well, then I don't know who you are. So I need to go back to the foundation. And in verse number seven, it said, and fell unto the ground and hurt. Let's go back one so I give you the context. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me and I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me Saul Saul why persecutest thou me and I answered who are you I've got to know because my foundation is all wrong he was willing to admit everything he knew was wrong in order to know the true and living God he desired God that much I think that's why Paul had such an experience because God knows your heart he knows how much you love him it doesn't matter how many times you trip up in life when you stand back up and say God I am disgusted that I let myself doubt like that I am upset that I let myself mess up like that. You are known by what's in your heart. God, the man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. He knows who you are. And he was willing to give God, Saul, a powerful experience because he thought he was doing the right thing. Maybe you have thought you've been doing the right thing and believing the right thing all along. Are you willing? Are you willing to admit, who are you, God? I didn't really know you. The level, and so Paul goes through his life and toward, and in his preaching, he said, That I may know him. 
and the power of his resurrection. When he thought back to that Damascus road, he realized that there are times when God takes us back to our foundation over and over again. Every experience we preach about in Pentecost is taking us back to our foundation over and over again. The oneness of God is not just a concept we get to enjoy. It is the very root and essence of what we are. We baptize in the name of Jesus. There is only one God. We get filled with the Holy Ghost because there is only one Spirit. And I want to be full of all my... Oh, hallelujah. I want to be full of His presence. So God does not change who He is. He answers because God is a good teacher. Amen? And good teachers don't let you ask the wrong questions. Because the wrong questions garner the wrong conclusions, which leads you out of truth. So God, right here, should have said, no, no, no. You are asking the wrong question. But instead, he doesn't worry about the question because it was a good question. Because Paul said, who art thou, Lord? Look at the words. Do you have it up there? Who art thou, Lord? That word is Jehovah or Yahweh. He said, who are you, Jehovah of the Old Testament? If Jesus showed up to him, and this is Jesus. If Jesus showed up to him, he said, wrong question. I'm the second person of the Godhead who is one with Jehovah. We commune together. We are in unity. We talk and we, we're the family of faith in heaven. He should have corrected Paul. That was because becoming Saul becoming Paul. But instead, he said, that's a good question. That question leads to truth. And so he answers it. Jesus doesn't correct him. And he said unto him, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. When God answered the one true living God that Paul was speaking to, answered him, he said, you've asked me, who are you, Jehovah? I'm telling you, I am Jesus. I am almighty God. He did not correct him. Do you see that there? So they told him to rise and go to Damascus. You have to understand that God does not change what he is to become a further revelation. In, in, in the understanding of, of our intellect and in the streams of our thought, we have to make sure that we don't get sidetracked by the way that people filter things. Now, unfortunately, in the, in the world that we live in, people put between the Bible and themselves a filter called Trinitarianism. And if you look at the Bible, sometimes you can read it, and it looks like Father is separate from Son and Holy Spirit. It can look like that if you don't understand what titles mean and that there are salutations that are given. Behold our God and Father. Is there two gods? Is there a God and a Father now? We got a problem. The thinking and the streams of thinking get so convoluted and so muddy if you don't understand there's only one God. But God can be revealed in flesh without changing who he is. So God Almighty who, who covers the expanse of everything can put himself in the fullness of the Godhead in a body and still cover the expanse of everywhere. Amen? Because he doesn't become less than what he was. So when Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River and comes up, and the Holy Spirit comes down as a symbol of a dove and a voice in heaven, it wasn't for anyone else but for the people standing on the banks. Because if you say, I'm the best driver on the planet, 
if you say I'm the best drummer on the planet and I'm talking about myself, don't you get a little bit skeptical? I mean, if I come up to you and say, man, I am amazing at crocheting. You haven't seen crocheting like this in your life. You're like, okay, whatever. You're talking about yourself. So Jesus, in order to have validation that he was God in flesh, created a voice that spoke to those people on the bank. God can create a voice anywhere. We're worshiping here right now. God can give us a word of prophecy. He can literally take on a voice in this room and speak into this room because voice is literally just vibrations of energy, amen? So, and God is pure energy. So he creates a voice out of his energy. And when he speaks, that doesn't mean that there's a separate person in the Godhead because God is in the body fullness and his spirit is everywhere. It just means he chose to do that at the moment. And if that was a proof text that there is a trinity, then and we would have record in the scripture because that would have been the first time they encountered a triune God. Three persons, separate persons in one. That would have been the first time they would have encountered it. So it would have been written in the scriptures. Oh, look at this. This is new. We didn't have this revelation before. But really what it was, was God's voice. So if God speaks here, and he speaks in Singapore today, and he speaks in Indonesia, and he speaks in Ethiopia, guess what? That doesn't mean there's four different gods. That means it's the same God speaking and doing something for a purpose. Oh, hallelujah. I hope you're getting the revelation today. I hope you're getting a revelation today. Can you, can you feel the power of God? Our God is one Lord, one Jehovah become flesh. Jesus, his name, J-E from Jehovah, the Old Testament, S-U-S, meaning become our salvation. Jehovah became our salvation. So yes, the New Testament is a further revelation, but that revelation will never contradict what was the schoolmaster in the Old Testament. You cannot learn calculus by just starting on calculus. Take a class on calculus at any college and never learn arithmetic and see how far you get. If you don't know one, if you don't know one plus one equals two, you will never get to higher math because it's all stacked, amen? Everything in life is stacked. It's layered. And it's because our God is a layered God, amen? So you have to understand that when you want to read Shakespeare... You don't start reading Shakespeare in first grade. You start with the A, B, C's. But the terms and the understanding and the definition of the A, B, C's and mathematical concepts of arithmetic, they do not change when you begin to read the depth of literature of Shakespeare and when you begin to read the depth of mathematics like calculus or statistics. They do not change. So when you look at the Old Testament, who God says he is and you see a further revelation which the new testament is amen somebody then you understand that the terms and the definitions have to come together and agree jesus said there is none beside me there's no other god i am god almighty there's none like me i have all glory all power the bible says in isaiah god almighty jehovah said i will share my glory with no other so if if you find somebody who has the glory of God, you found God. <laughs> you found God Almighty because he won't share his glory with anyone else. All right, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm getting excited, amen? So the, origi 
So, so the original definitions from the Old Testament are still the same in the New Testament. The original meanings from the Old Testament are the same. So then we come to this New Testament and we read God, about our God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we understand that those are in relationship. Father to us in redemption. Father to Jesus because he conceived. I wasn't a father till I conceived Seth Michael sitting right here. The day he was born, or the day he was conceived, literally, I became a father. I didn't split in two. I didn't become two persons. I'm still the same man, but I have now a new relationship. I am now the father of a boy who's going to carry on my name. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. I feel like preaching up in here. I'm feeling really good. So Jesus Christ is the son of the, the body of the living God who's going to carry on the further revelation of his name. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. It's good. He's not a second God. He's not a demigod. He's not even some other person in the Godhead. He literally is the revelation of God in flesh because God could not die for us because God cannot die. So he had to have a body that could die. So Jesus is God in flesh. So that's why we were talking about in, in life group this last Wednesday night, that son of man, that means his flesh, son of David, that's his genealogy, son of God, that's who he was, that's how he was conceived. He's the son of God. Son always refers to flesh, but he is God. There is no place in scripture where it says God the son that was created by the church. We create a lot of religions. Hello, somebody. But God tells us how to find him. It's from the old schoolmaster into the new. Jesus said, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Do you see what I'm saying? Can anybody hear what I'm preaching today? Is anybody picking up what I'm putting out today? So God is so amazing that when he's standing in the garden, they ask him, where is Jesus of Nazareth? He says, I am. And he's, he's, speaking, he's speaking all the way back to the Old Testament in Exodus where, where he calls Moses to take his people out of and deliver his people of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses says, I, I'm confident in you, God. I know who you are, but you're asking me to go and I stutter and I'm not good with words and I'm gonna go before the most powerful man in the world at that time. And, and I need to know what is your authority? What is your name? And God responds, I, I am. <laughs> I am, because he doesn't want anybody to give him a title yet, and his name isn't fully revealed yet, because his name is going to be revealed in the New Testament as Jesus Christ, God Almighty, who is going to save us. So that's great to me, because I always look at it as I am blank, fill in the blank. If you are lost in sin, I am Savior. If you are in need of healing and you're sick in your body, I am your healer. I believe that's what he was saying when he said, I am. I'm more than my name. I'm the God of the Old Testament. I'm the God of both Testaments. I am, if you're hungry, I'm the bread of life. If you're thirsty, I'm the living water. I am the life spring to your life. I, if you need help and encouragement, I am the good shepherd of the Old Testament. If you need a way, if you need the truth, if you need life, I am him. I'm the one in a body. I'm God Almighty. And the only thing that you need to know is I came to save you. I 
came to save you. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm the rock of ages. I am the Lord. So he admits, he admits that I am God Almighty. Jesus said, today this word has been revealed in your presence. And they want to stone him because he makes himself to be Jehovah in their presence. Isaiah 44 and 6. Let me just give you a few scriptures to back this up, okay? I know I've already used up my time and I apologize because I get so excited that I just keep preaching. I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish. I promise. I'm putting the wheels down. I'm coming in. I'm coming in to the landing. I'm, I'm coming in the runway here. So we must understand that if Jesus reconciled us to himself, then God Almighty would have to send someone to reconcile us to the Holy Spirit, and God Almighty would have to send somebody to reconcile us to God the Father if Jesus only reconciled us to himself, if there's three persons in the Godhead. We have to realize that he's God in flesh. Amen? So let me tell you, let me show you a couple of scriptures. Isaiah 44 and 6, it says this, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel. So we're getting our foundation, okay? We're, we're letting Revelation speak from the Old Testament. Um, and his... Let me start over. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Is there a God sitting on the right hand of God? Beside me there is no God. It's a misconcept that so many people believe, and I'm sorry if, if you've been taught that, but that is not the scripture because they didn't take their understanding of God Almighty from the Old Testament. They took it from a concept from the church. Okay, Isaiah 45 and 5. Let's go there. I'm sorry, I skipped a bunch of them. I, I, I didn't mean to. It just it happened. So um, let's go to this one, and then we'll go back to the ones I missed. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee through, though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Do you understand? I want you to see here that God is using very specific language. He is not leaving any room for error. He said, there's none other, none beside me, no one else. I, and then further on in that chapter, you can see that it says that I spread it, spread it, go on to the next verse. If I turn there, I can find it faster probably, but there it is. That they may know from the rising of the sun in the, in the west of the, that none beside me, that they may know everywhere from the rising of the sun to the going down, from the west, uh, for the rising of the sun and from the west, that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I am Jehovah. You see, large, large capitals. That is the word for God, Jehovah. I am Jehovah and there is none else. Jesus did not pre-exist the manger in a body form. He pre-existed the manger as a spirit form, as Jehovah. Do you understand that? Okay, I'm, I think I hit it good enough. Isaiah 37 and 16. I'm sorry, I'm jumping back to that. Isaiah 37 and 16. And the scripture tells us here, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwelleth between the cherubims. That's, that's talking about where he dwelled between the cherubims on the holy seat in the, in the tabernacle. Stay with me, okay? Stay with me. Thou art the God, even thou alone. Everyone say alone. He's by himself. He's constantly emphasizing the number one. Number one. I'm alone. Of all the kingdom of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. He made heaven and earth by himself. Go on to the next verse, if you would. Hallelujah. 
I think there's a little bit more inclining here to the Lord and hear the thine eyes of the Lord and see and hear the words of the Sabbath. Yeah, that's good enough. We'll go on. I want to go to Isaiah. I want to go to Isaiah 42 and 8. Isaiah 42 and 8. And then we'll do Isaiah 43 and I'm almost done. And I'll finish and then we can, we can shout. Amen. We'll shout about our Lord and Savior. I am the Lord. Look at that. All caps. What does that mean? It means the name of the Old Testament in the Old Testament. That means Jehovah. I am the Jehovah. That is my name. Amen. So in the Old Testament, he says, my name is Jehovah. And then in the New Testament, he says, my name is J-E from Jehovah, S-U-S, Jesus. Become yourself. So then, and my glory will I not give to another. Here we go. Neither my praise to graven images. So in the New Testament, whenever you see somebody worshiping Jesus or praising Jesus, he should say, well, hold on. I'm just here to do some work. I'm taking care of sin. You need to praise Jehovah. But he never does that because he is God in flesh. Amen. He's God revealed. So let's go on to the next verse. And that would be 43, verse 10 through 11. Now, this is a good one because this helps you to understand that they are not, there's not three persons in a union in heaven, but it uses the strongest possible language that he is one. As you move into the New Testament, that language speaks of Jesus. That strong language of one speaks of Jesus. So, and ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, large capitals. There's Jehovah, saith Jehovah, my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. I am he. Everyone say, I am he. That you may know that I am Jehovah, that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. So if Jesus was a second person in the Godhead that was formed through a body, then that would contradict this scripture because there's another God formed after him. But that wasn't another God formed. That was God who is spirit put into the only image we'll ever see of God, Jesus Christ. When you get to heaven, you're not going to see um, God's spirit as like a dove. You're not going to see that. It was a representative of that in the scripture. But there's also representative fire of the Holy Spirit, water of the Holy Spirit. So that's just a symbol of the Holy Spirit, not really the form of the Holy Spirit because the spirit can't have form. I think I hit that, right? So then you have to understand that whenever you're looking at God Almighty in Revelations and we're going to see him one day, someone said hallelujah, you were going to see him one day. And when you get to heaven, you're not going to see three people sitting on three thrones. You're going to see one throne and the only image that God ever had was the face of Christ Jesus. You are going to see Jesus Christ when you go to heaven. That's why we're called people of the name. That's why we're called Jesus people because we know the God in whom we serve amen oh hallelujah 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 so did i read that those scriptures so, i think i got through it is that 11 let's go on to 11 i'm almost done everyone say pastor's almost done is this good eating today did i did i prepare a good meal all right i even uh, yeah you keep saying that but when i'm four hours deep you they won't nobody's gonna like you when i'm four hours long <laughs> You just keep saying that, though. I like it. It's encouraging me. <laughs> Isaiah 43 and 11, it says this. I, even I, am the Jehovah. And beside me there is no... He used the title of Jesus Christ. Because he's so specific. He wants you to know that if I create a Savior for you, I didn't send a second person. I didn't sacrifice my son. That's beautiful imagery. It's beautiful imagery, but it's not true. If, 
one person told an imagery of the Trinity and he said there was a boy that was off a boat and they were and, and the boy had accepted Christ as a savior, which is only the beginning. You believe on Christ. That's great. So do Muslims. They believe in one God. They just call him Allah. There's a lot of people that believe on one God, but you have to perform the function of the salvation plan through Jesus Christ in order to be saved. You have to align yourself with the death, burial, and resurrection in order to be saved. You can believe in one God all you want to, but you need to be baptized into him. You need to repent and die with Jesus Christ, go into the watery grave with him, amen, and have his blood applied to your life, or you stand naked and open with all your sins before the throne someday, and you don't have the blood of Jesus Christ covering you and being a mediator between you and God. You have no way for that sacrifice of that lamb to cover you. And so what happens is, I think I lost my train of thought, but I'm sorry. I, I'm getting off my list. Where, where was I at? Help me out. What? Oh, the boy in the boat. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll edit this off the tape. <clears throat> we don't have tapes anymore. Wow, I'm so old. Well, <laughs> keep moving, she says. So this boy gets, they're out to sea and him and his friend are swimming and, and all of a sudden this gale comes up and they're not able to get the boat back to him because the boat gets pushed away from the boys. And the dad is standing on the boat as imitating the father, okay, father God. And the dad is standing on the boat and the one boy knows Jesus, has, has a relationship with God, but his friend came with him and his friend doesn't know Jesus. And so the imagery that they create is the father standing there and he's looking at his son and he has to sacrifice his son and he says, you're saved and going to heaven, but he's not. And so he throws the lifeline knowing that his son will not survive. You can only save one of the boys. He throws it to the boy who's lost. And that's the same thing that is used as imagery for the Trinity, that God Almighty sent his son to save someone who was lost. It's beautiful imagery. It's very nice, but it has not a shred of evidence in the scripture. It's just not true, okay? It's, an, it's a wrong stream of thinking from the Old Testament to the New Testament. What you have to understand is God made himself a body and came for us. Amen? Amen? Oh, that's so good because I am so touched by a God who won't say, hey, they messed up, go fix it. But a God who says, you've messed up, but it's okay. You are going to have to step out of the garden. I'm going to put a, an angel to guard the tree of life so you can't take of the tree of life and eat and eternally be fallen. I'm going to take you through all kinds of things that I was, that's going to bring my revelation and bring me to this earth so I can die. He came for us. There is only one Lord. There's no Savior beside Jehovah. God is awesome. Let me finish with this. Let me finish with this. Hear me. I, my gears are turning so strong. I'm trying to wrap this up. Let's stand together. We're going to shout. We're going to get excited because of the God we know. Amen. And I hope I haven't been too long for you today. So hear, hear me carefully. Hear all these names that I'm about to say. Mohammed, Mosi Sung, Caesar, Alexander the Great, Lenin, Stalin, Hitler, Saddam Hussein. All of these men stepped onto the planet and wanted to be God. But God stepped onto the planet to be our man. Amen. He died for me. He set me free. Would you lift a hand toward heaven and would you thank a God who is not only Jehovah of the Old Testament, but the Redeemer in our life in the New Testament. He is God in a body. He is God, Jehovah revealed in flesh. Hallelujah.
He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's the one true living God. And we worship the God that we know. Amen. Jesus told the woman at the well that the salvation is of the Jews because they knew who they worship. But now us Gentiles are welcome through the power of the Holy Ghost because Jesus died for us. We are allowed to serve the one true living God. Thank you, Lord, for your work. Thank you, Lord, for your way. Hallelujah. Let's sing something. I don't want funeral music. I want something awesome. <laughs> Let's worship the Lord together. He is one. Come on, sing. He's an awesome God. He's an awesome God. He is God Jehovah. He is God Yahweh. He is Adonai. He is the rock of ages. He is the Prince of Peace. He is Jesus revealed in the New Testament. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, He reigns from He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome. Come on, won't you come and worship Him? Worship Him where you stand. But this altar's open. I know there's not much space, but up here. But won't you come give Him glory? The only one that deserves glory. Give Him some glory. His name is Jesus. He will not share his glory with another. Hallelujah.